And since this was the first really romantic interlude mid shares with Lenny, it had to be memorable. <sighs> and it is. This is who you wanted her with, wasn't it, Spencer? Yes, I love <laughs> Lenny Bruce and Midge together. They were. So, why couldn't you give me that? I wanted it so bad. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Art of Costume Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Joy Glass. And I'm the marvelous Mr. Williams, Spencer Williams. <laughs> hey, Elizabeth. Hello, Mr. Williams. <laughs> How's it going? It's it's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. I have too much going on, but it's it's fine. It's I fine. Know. I, I haven't seen you in a bit, actually. It's been a while. I didn't get to join for the Color Purple episode, which was kind of a bummer, but whatever. But We missed you, but me and Daniel... We got through it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You guys killed it. <laughs> uh, what, what have you been up to? You have a long day ahead of you. You started to tell me and I'm like, wait, I got to write this down. So what are you doing today? After so this? it's my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. Happy birthday, mom. Listen. <laughs> um, I'm just making my mom dinner. Um, okay. Making her fettuccine with a white sauce. Mm. Uh shrimp and like this lemon garlic sauce uh asparagus my brother is making some french bread and then we're gonna me and my brother are gonna make some um chocolate covered strawberries and i got this like itty bitty tiramisu cake for her so (laughs) (laughs) i wish i had children Um, to make me stuff on my birthday you have friends who bring you birthday cakes. Oh, yeah, that is true. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but still, <laughs> that sounds so good, man. Good for yeah. you. That sounds good. I'm like really hungry now, which is why I was like, say it again, you know, tell uh, yeah. me slowly. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, wait, save this for the podcast. And I was like, oh, okay, but this makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, That's so good. Dude, I'm doing that. I've started working on those two plays. Oh. So that's yeah. that's been fun. It's been interesting. Two at once. Mm-hmm. Oh. One's a two-person play, and then the okay. other is 
I've barely started it and it's already, it's so much work. (laughs) (laughs) I am loving this trajectory into theater costume design for you. That is so cool. I'm having fun with it. I definitely am. Um, If I could quit my day job, that would be nice. But (laughs) so far, no. (laughs) I think we all (laughs) wish that. That's good. Well, um, yeah, I haven't really been up too much. I am, well... You started a new job. That's that's a lot. I did start a new job that's been very busy. Um, I'm also I I don't really talk about too much on a podcast, but I've been in I've been getting my degree, a degree online throughout almost the majority of this podcast. And yeah, pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I am about to enter by the time this podcast comes out, I will be entering finals week. And this is it. Like I'm done forever. Until I'm, I have like a stupid thought and decide to get my master's in something or whatever. <laughs> but for now, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, oh. I'm so happy for you. That's so Thank exciting. You. Thank you. Almost there. I just, I really fantasize about having weekends where I could just focus on like the podcast and yeah. then lay on my bed. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. I, um, I, I, every now and then I think about getting my master's. But then I work with people who are in the process of getting like masters and other like advanced degrees. And I'm like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit much. It's so much. You know what's also a lot, Spencer? (laughs) Oh, what's that? The TV series we watched this week. Spencer, what did we watch? We watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel this week. I've been watching the show for all of a month at this rate. A little more more than the past week. (laughs) Every day I like come home and I'm watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel because we, first of all, this is a big listener request. Um, Since the very beginning, people have been emailing us saying, when are you going to do Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Um, And the answer, frankly, was always like, I don't know, because... You know, I think even when we started a podcast, it might have been like three seasons, four it was three seasons. Se- it was three seasons in at that point. Yeah. Yeah. We just kept laying that monster get bigger and bigger. Yeah. So then when the time came, we we're like, well, look what we got ourselves into now. I remember when we were first like, should we do this? It was around the time like the fourth season was coming out. And I was like, or it had just come out and they announced like they were going to do one more season. I was like, let's just let them like finish it and then we'll do it. Yeah. And like, I always knew it was going to be like a big stressful project, (laughs) but I was like, it'll be fine. I'll have lots of time to prepare, you know, not that, you know, I never procrastinate on anything, so it won't be a problem. (laughs) It absolutely was a problem. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely procrastinated. But Uh, we're here. Yes. And And it was fun. I've never seen it before. And yes, and you refuse to tell me any of your thoughts on it. <laughs> you and I have not talked about it. Daniel, drum roll, please. A dramatic, slow drum roll, yes. too. Elizabeth, I absolutely love this show. Yes. I am obsessed with it. I <laughs> I just finished the last episode all of 20 minutes ago, and I had to go like into the bathroom <laughs> and make sure my eyes were puffy from crying. <laughs> just, it's so good. I I'm, am obsessed. I love it so much, and I just feel like a loser for sleeping on this show. Right? And it's like, 
I've never like ended a series and felt like, yes, this is done. This is over. Like Mm -hmm. it feels it feels so complete by the end. Like, you know, the you're like, I know the whole story. Like there's it doesn't leave you with any questions or any like, oh, like let your imagination run wild, which I hate that um personally it's like it's like we've got a story we've got a beginning and an end and we are gonna show you everything explain everything midge is like who i want to be when i grow up sometimes (laughs) or rose you know right i yeah it's just i just thought it was a perfectly executed show everything about it Everyone in the cast, I mean, everyone in the cast was amazing. It wasn't just like the Midge show. It was every single character was good. The costumes, I mean, we're going to spend the next probably three hours talking about the costumes, Uh, the sets, the music, the just it was so good. I, I loved it all. I don't think I loved the last season as much. I was having a hard time with the flash forward moments. But but the very last episode, though, was such like a strong send off that almost made the flash forwards feel better for me. And I'll be honest, I felt the same exact way the first time I watched the final season. But I just I literally binged through the whole thing in the past like two weeks. And second time around, it felt so perfect. Mm. Like, I think that's definitely a season where like when you watch it again, you're like, yeah. okay, this makes sense. I gotta let it simmer. I just, oh, spoiler warning, if you all haven't seen Marvelous Mrs. Basil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, Don't I just, come here for unspoiled content. Right. Don't be like us and put the show <laughs> off. Just go watch it. Yes. Well, Elizabeth has been watching the show. I haven't, but yeah, I, yeah, uh, it just felt like, I was just sad watching the last season for so much of it because it was so much of like, oh, Joel ends up going to prison and Midge and Susie like, you know, separate. And (laughs) it just like, yeah, it just felt like a major bummer for most of it. And I was like, what what was the point of this? Because it was such like a positive show. But then like once you got to like that last episode, it just, I don't know, just brought it all together and. I feel like yeah. I've been thinking about the fifth season for a while, but the first four seasons, though, I just felt were like, like absolute gold. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man. Well, Spencer, before we dive into this, do you want to give us a summary? I certainly will. <laughs> How do you summarize <laughs> the show? Um, when 1950s New York housewife Midge Maisel is left by her husband, she sees the picture-perfect Upper East Side life she has been raised to inhabit shatter. But instead of falling apart as her society expected, Midge finds that she can pursue a life of independence through the strength of her character and a belief her new friend Susie has her by building herself a career as a stand-up comedian. And that is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Go watch it. It's on Amazon. Almost everybody has Amazon. It's very bingeable, by the way. Yeah. And I think the longest season is like 10 episodes. I think most of them are like eight or nine. They fly by. At some points, I actually didn't know what season I was on. I was just like, I would look up and it'd be dark outside. I'm like, what? How many episodes did I just watch? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's nice. They flow together very nicely. It's incredible. Go watch it. 
and then come back as we go behind the costumes with showrunner Amy Sherman Palladino, who you will all know from Gilmore Girls, <laughs> and costume designer Donna Zakowska. You will know Donna from a childhood classic, Harriet the Spy, Empire Falls, for which she received her first Costume Designer Guild nomination, a personal favorite of mine, Kate and Leopold, the HBO miniseries John Adams, for which she received her first Emmy and Costume Designer Guild Award win, Sons of Liberty, Turn, Washington Spies, and every season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which has has been nominated for an Emmy, won once, four seasons have gotten Costume Designer Guild nominations, and won for seasons two and three. Yeah, I mean, she was racking in these awards to the point where I felt like I was almost kind of annoyed because I always yeah. knew like, oh, well, it's going to go to Marvelous Mrs. Yeah. Maisel. But I had no context. So I always mm-hmm. found it annoying. And now yeah. I feel annoying. I remember <laughs> you being like, oh, yeah, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel was nominated. And I was like, yeah, let's go. And you were like, uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm the dumb dumb because, <laughs> I mean, Donna kills with the show there's so many costumes it's incredible it's so incredible it's so incredible that during the pandemic which pretty much happened between seasons like three and four there's a huge gap in time Mm. during that time uh donna decided to write madly marvelous the costumes of the marvelous mrs mazel wow a Big ass book (laughs) (laughs) filled with like pictures of her sketches, you know, behind the scenes photos, so much information about how she got to all of these like incredible, incredible looks and just like her thought processes behind them. So if y'all loved this show, like get this book because like we're maybe... Like, there maybe a tenth of the information in here <laughs> made it into our episode. <laughs> like, that's how much is in this book. So definitely, if you want more information, especially about the first three seasons, wow. get Madly Marvelous. Um, I'm going to order it right after this. I hope this. she does another. Yeah. I hope she writes another one for the last two seasons. Like, that would be incredible. Right. Incredible. Wow. So incredible. And... It's so incredible that with the exception of one quote, all of our information for the first three seasons will be coming from her book, Madly Marvelous, The Costumes of the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm. So if I don't say where a quote is from in these in this first, like, however, first three seasons, it's because it's all from the book. It's from the book. (laughs) And in the book. Donna talks about how a lot of her early life and growing up really translated into The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, especially her love of color. In the book, she says, as a child, my favorite plaything was my paint box. And the great passion of my life has been playing with color, like a cook or a chemist, mixing, testing, measuring, distilling, refining convinced there's something undeniably magical in the creation 
and experience of color. After studying painting for many years from the Brooklyn Museum Art School to the Paris Ecole des Beaux Arts, apologies if I said that wrong, my childhood passion ultimately led to a life in costume design and then serendipitously the development of the madly marvelous paint box for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm, that's so cool. It is. And she really talks about how this show was, she really defined the costumes by their colors. And there are two very specific color palettes that she used. One for the Upper East Side and one for downtown. And she says of the Upper East Side, in many ways, the uptown scenes were extensions into the present tense of the rose-colored world of flashbacks, the idealized world and lifestyle so ardently cherished by Midge at the beginning of the series. A bubble of post-war upper-middle-class affluence and optimism in which both Midge and Rose ostensibly emulate the conventional 1950s role of women as professional wives, housemakers, and mothers. Living the dream meant living the myth. In a surface world of artificial happiness, a world of conformity and order, the world of the Upper West Side. Man, it's going to so, be one of those episodes, isn't it's gonna it? It's going to be one of those episodes. And <laughs> it's really true. Like... Everything, everything of the world she grew up in, of, you know, the world she was raised to believe, like, this is how it goes, is cheerful, is colorful. Like, there's so many pastels and bright colors. It's just like a flood of color. Yeah, it's it's actually really kind of interesting because I feel like that's why I had such a hard time with the fifth season. Because especially beginning of the show, it's very bright and positive and yeah it is artificial in the sense that you know especially midge is like trying to tell herself that everything's okay and she had this perfect life and whatnot so then as you go through the series and you start to see like the real ugly world that we could live in sometimes it is hard it, it, it it's really interesting how you she uses that color to create the artificial happiness in a world that's I mean, it's New York City, so it's not yeah. that far away, you know, but it feels like a fantasy world, but it's not. And then we have the downtown world, which is very different. And she used a much darker color palette, as she explains in the book, saying in the late 50s, there were significant social and cultural divides between the various neighborhoods of Manhattan, epitomized in the series by the gulf between the world's of uptown and downtown, the staid bourgeois and unruly rebellious bohemian in the self-conscious attempt to display a poise of indifference to fashion, work clothes, sweaters, and sweatshirts were rampant, and the palette was generally darker and earthier, paired with the archetypal beatnik penchant for black capris, jeans, leotards, turtlenecks. Mm a color or non-color that was basically taboo in the upper middle class circles apart from formal wear. Yeah. I mean, it is, is true. Like Elizabeth put together like some collages of the different colors for the two different sides of town. 
And it is virtue. I didn't actually really notice that until now, but just like the total dark kind of like dive bar color palette is very prominent in all of the downtown scenes. Absolutely. Especially when like those scenes when like Joel and Midge are going downtown together before they're separated. It's like they can they do a 180 on their whole look. It's Mm -hmm. completely different to kind of like fit in with the downtown scene. And continuing on with this importance in color, there were two. um, She put a lot of, you know, emphasis on a lot of the colors that Midge wore. But two of the ones that stood out to me were obviously pink. Pink is like the main color through the series. (laughs) It's Midge's favorite. And it's a touchstone through the whole series. And Donna talks about it in the book saying, I felt that Midge first needed to be seen in what would then become her emblematic color. So pink in the first episode would be a badge of identity and a source of strength. And then in some time, conspicuous, sometimes subtle ways continue to resurface in her wardrobe throughout the series. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Which absolutely to the very end. Yeah. (laughs) We see Midge in pink. Yeah. And it was always, it just like when you saw her in pink, you knew that was just like her in her most like powerful form. Yes. She used color very in smart ways. And it felt like when she had like a big show, she would then put the pink down and go to like a black too. She was very like conscious Mm -hmm. in what she did with her colors. Absolutely. And another color she was very conscious of using was green saying, I began to think of green coats as being worn in scenes of her heroic independence. Mm. (laughs) And that's so true. Like the first scene she mentions in the book is when um, she's in Washington Square Park and starts to talk Oh yeah, (laughs) in support of not filling the road. She has that beautiful like green coat on. And then it got me thinking. I remember when she's like running into milo in the park she wears a lot of green and it's really her like stepping out of her comfort zone and being like i'm an independent woman who can pursue a relationship with a man if i want to she's a pioneer or an explorer yeah she wears a lot of green and i i just love that and like i want to almost watch the series over again (laughs) (laughs) because like i read the majority of this when i was like already pretty deep into the series yeah um just to kind of see like okay where does that resurface where does that come up but spencer i don't know about you but i am so ready to jump into the series after this break look i'm buckled in and ready to go i there's a lot of constants to talk about so um put on your favorite hat and let's let's get this going oh yeah This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Thank you. 
All right, Elizabeth, how are you ready to get into the marvelous Mrs. Maisel uh, even more than we already have? <laughs> you know it. So how are we going to do this? Because we have five seasons and five million costumes. So we're going to be going season by season and just touching on what is most important. And one of the most important looks from the first season is Midge's oh, wedding yeah. gown for... <laughs> Yeah, her marriage to Joel. And we have the beautiful Rachel Brosnahan as Miriam Midge Maisel. And like, this is literally one of the first things you see her in. And you're just like, oh my gosh, like this is beautiful. Yeah. This is a fairy tale. And <laughs> Donna saw Midge's wedding as the overture of the first season and wanted her to look like a cloud photo floating freely over a sea of pale, delicate tones. So, like, you'll see, like, her bridal party is wearing, like, this seafoam green. A lot of the guests are wearing, like, some, like, more subtle um, pastel colors or just, like, a strong color for the ones towards the back. And then, like, the band are in this, like, beautiful salmon pink jackets. Yeah. And she is just the absolute center of attention. <laughs> Wearing this beautiful but simple gown. And she said she wanted Midge's dress to be exquisitely feminine, but more minimalist than classic 1950s layer cake gowns. Which, because like, I was like, for a second, I was like, what was she talking about? And then I thought of, because like, this, this is like, the age my grandparents my grandmothers would be yeah. <laughs> like they got married in the 50s and i immediately thought of their like wedding pictures and it's like yeah they had these like huge gowns that really yeah. did make them look like cake toppers <laughs> <laughs> but obviously this is being watched by a modern audience and midge isn't exactly like your average woman of the 1950s so Donna drew inspiration from the Givenchy wedding gown Audrey Hepburn wears in Funny Face. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, now that I'm looking at a picture, it looks pretty close. Yeah, and it makes sense, too, because it is for more a, a modern audience is watching it. And it just feels, mm -hmm. you know, Midge is very smart in her silhouettes and how much skin she's showing, how much skin she's not showing. Mm -hmm. She's really good at her fabrics and... It just works. If it, if the dress was any bigger in this very crowded room because there's lots of people this wedding, it would have been overwhelming. So it's it's amazing. And this dress to me just says like everything about what the show is going to be and who Miriam is like right off the bat. You know that there's lots of money involved. They're mm -hmm. very well off. But also she likes to be the center of attention, which is why she's in the center of the room. Funny and just has like a great eye for details. Absolutely. I do love how this, you know, picture perfect image is established and then just like immediately destroyed yeah. in the first episode because <laughs> she starts out in probably one of the most iconic piece pieces of the show, Midge's pink coat, which is inspired yeah. <laughs> by the 1950 uh, swing coat, which Donna really wanted to kind of be like a superhero coat that carries Midge mm. from her idyllic life through her breakdown. 
at <laughs> the gaslight. And <laughs> I'm like, it really does that because she's got like this beautiful wool coat that just, you know, glides her through New York City. And then she also wears these beautiful nightgowns. Yeah. And then when you see her, when she's been through the rain, when she's like so drunk, she barely remembers what happens. <laughs> it just like comes together perfectly. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, this person is not used to having, you know, the rug pulled out from under them, essentially. <laughs> like yeah. her life did just change in a matter of like 30 seconds. <laughs> Yeah, the costume really adds to like the unhinged nature of where she's feeling at right now because she's wearing what like would, you know, any other time look absolutely flawless on her. But the way it's just like hanging on her when it's all wet and just like falling apart and it's just it's startling and it's it is an iconic that pink coat. I I love it. It is a staple. Spencer, it is so iconic that coat now lives at the Smithsonian. Of course it does. And as it should. <laughs> as it should. As it should. <laughs> I might work at the Smithsonian soon to just stand by as security right? and just protect it, honestly. We should see if they have job openings. Yeah. Yeah, we could get an apartment together. We could, like, go live in Washington for a little bit and just go. Hey, I'm into it. You know, I love a good museum. So. Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> um. So... One of the major things in Midge's world as she starts to build her new life, becoming a comic, is she kind of like wants to be taken seriously. She just wants to do comedy. Comedy. She's always like, I don't sing. I don't have a gimmick. I don't like I don't do that. And everyone's like, but you're a woman. That's isn't that how you make it? What's your gimmick? What's going on here? Right. It's always like, do you sing? Like, no, yeah. I don't sing. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you're pretty. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> the foil for her character through this whole series is Sophie Lennon, who play, who is in this series, the highest paid female comedian uh, with her character, Sophie from Queens. <laughs> and this incredible character is played by Jane Lynch. <laughs> and... I just love because Sophie from Queens, this is kind of like homely, brash, like New York woman who everyone just finds hilarious. Mm -hmm. But then Sophie Lennon is <laughs> like the most stuck up person I think I've ever seen on television. Yeah, she suddenly becomes Agnes Van Ryn in the yes. 1950s. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love Jane Lynch kills this character. Yes. She is so over the top. You see like this kooky character that she plays. But then when you go to her house, you know, I was immediately attached. I was yeah. like, I love me some <laughs> Sophie Lennon. And her costumes only get better throughout the series. Yes. She's that character that pops up at like the worst times. Mm -hmm. But then you like kind of love to see it though, because she just comes in like the craziest costumes. And I just love her for it. I love her too, especially when she's just Sophie Lennon, because she just has the most like expensive designer clothes you could yeah. possibly have at the time <laughs> and it's hilarious i love how midge is like like what is this what are you yeah. doing what is wrong what is your deal <laughs> yeah she's like what is wrong with just being yourself and right. that being enough to help you succeed which 
in the final moments of the first season is really what Midge achieves. Mm -hmm. At the end of season one, we get to see the first of what Donna's team would call Midge's limelight looks as she makes her official debut as Mrs. Maisel. Mm. Donna said Amy had a black dress and pearls in mind for this moment. And Donna once again found inspiration from Audrey Hepburn and her Sabrina cocktail dress. I love this. This is one of my favorite costumes from an entire series. Absolutely. It, she it is her premiere, her big debut, and she's. This is like literally, I'm, I am Iron Man moment. She comes yes. out like I am Mrs. Maisel, and it just everything is just polished right down to a T. It just looks right, and the pearls and the light hits her right. I audibly gasped when I saw this costume on her. It's so perfect, and it's exactly who she wants to be. Cause like through this whole series, she's like going to nightclubs, watching other comedians, pretty much all like male comedians, because that's mm-hmm. all it was at the time. Yeah. And they're all polished and like have these beautiful suits and get up there and be funny the way she wants to be funny. And that is her saying, you know, like if they can be who they are and still be considered funny, then I can be who I am. And still be considered funny. And that this dress is the epitome of that. Yeah, it is so good. And it's in that black too. Like we mentioned in the downtown area, it would have looked off if she was wearing like a neon pink, you know? Yeah. So I think that the black really <laughs> works well. So, oh, such a good one. I'm obsessed with this look. Absolutely. And that bring us brings us into season two, which is just a whole magical season within i think season two actually might be my favorite i might be with you on that one <laughs> season two is so great especially because of their trip to the cat skills oh, it is so good spencer we're gonna get there we're gonna get there <laughs> but first we have to talk about a very important character we have Susie myerson played by alex borstein Oh, Susie Meyerson from Susie Meyerson and Associates. Associates. (laughs) (laughs) I love Alex Borstein as Susie. I've, I mean, I've been a fan of Alex Borstein going all the way back to Mad TV. And this just felt like a real, like, she kills it in this role, a real coming home full circle moment. Such a good character. So, so good. So hilarious. And Donna talks about her wardrobe in the book saying Susie's clothing was designed to make her feel safe and look tough. And since it was clear from the start that she wouldn't have much variation in her wardrobe, every element had to be spot on. They started with her signature leather jacket, a vintage piece that they had to recreate after the first season because it dried out to the point (laughs) that she couldn't move in it anymore and it could not be used. (laughs) And honestly, reproductions of vintage pieces is really what her wardrobe is. Her pants are reproductions of Swedish army pants and her boots Donna bought years before in Vienna. Wow, that's perfect. And it always is just 
finished off with like the cherry on the top with the hat. She always has yes. like a good hat. Oh, yeah. that's so good. I think that's I why think... her and Mitch get along. They, she, Susie won't admit it, but she loves a good hat too. <laughs> oh, this show is the show if you want to talk about hats. Yes. I will never watch another show and see a hat and not think of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That's another thing. If you want to know about the hats in this show, read the book. I just couldn't put it in this. <laughs> it's just not enough time. <laughs> not enough time. My favorite bit in this show is probably Susie with the toilet plunger. And yes. then it becomes this entire dialogue of her parents thinking that Susie's a plumber. It's so stupid and I love it. It's, it made me laugh every time Rose would be like, and why is your friend lying about being a plumber? You know, it's so good. It is so great. And her parents are incredible. Elizabeth, guess my favorite character. Rose Weissman? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Since season one, I was like Rose Weissman is my favorite character and I ended the series with Rose as my favorite character. She like once again like if I don't end up like a slightly snobby but like really put together older woman who always looks fabulous I don't know what oh. I'm gonna do with myself. <laughs> She's so good and Tony Shalob as Abe also oh I gosh. just I cannot with this pairing. All the parents in the show were so good. Yes uh, Marin Hinkle as Rose and the two of them together, they kill it. They just yeah. kill it. They really do. It's perfect. They are so funny together. They're funny separately. I just, they, they could have a spin. If they were to make like a spinoff show where it like had no midge in it and it was just about like Rose and Abe in their everyday life. If they want to make a spinoff series about how they met in the twenties, Oh, that'd be good. <laughs> when I, apparently Rose is always in France and from Oklahoma and Abe was offsetting <laughs> government buildings on fire. I would watch that all day long. <laughs> or the one that takes place in like, what, the 70s when Rose is like this old matchmaker who's yes. walking around like Liberace all the time and <laughs> like just ma massacring <laughs> commercials. Like I would watch that too. It's so good. It's so good. And season two starts off in the most hilarious way when Rose just decides to run away to France on uh, a whim. The melodramatic <laughs> France storyline. I could have watched the entire season of that. And even if Midge was in it or not, I would have watched it. <laughs> it like it is so incredible. And Donna saw Abe and Rose in France as two people who who were rediscovering themselves and created a more bohemian look for them. Abe turned away from the academic tweed to looks that fit in with the cafe scene in Paris, while Rose left behind her Chanel suits for what Donna called her schoolgirl bohemian look. Mm -hmm. Which is so true. Like, Rose is so relaxed in Paris. <laughs> like, oh, <yeah. laughs> you meet her in Paris and you're like, is this the same character? Like, did yeah. they, it was, I was almost like, did they recast the role like really well? <laughs> totally. For a second, you're like, what happened? So that just feels like a whole different person, but she's just, she's just like, her walls are like down for a second. Yes. This is like her, like in her chill version. Absolutely. Same for Abe. It's kind of like, this is the first time where like 
you get a sense that like, oh, he was not always this like stuck up academic person as he, you know, makes the effort to see what Rose loves about Paris and comes to love it himself. Unfortunately for Rose, he's like, I got to go back to work. Yeah, dude, we have to go home. I get it, though. Rose is like, please don't make me go. Especially after she found that beautiful apartment. (laughs) Like, yeah, honestly, I was I was, you know, I kept telling you I wasn't going to talk to you. I watched a show, which I kept up with. You did. I was proud of you. (laughs) I so badly want to text you at this scene. I was going to be like, if Rose stays in you know france and like gets written off the show or something and they get divorced i will stop watching like i was i was so nervous i was like please rose come home i'm scared (laughs) that would have been fair yeah and she leaves france in the most dramatic fashion for rose's final look in paris donna said i wanted her to look like she was dressed for the finale of an old hollywood melodrama (laughs) <laughs> and use the French flag as inspiration for the colors of the outfit. <laughs> that is a A-plus costume. It is so... The way that she like, gets into the car, turns around and looks back at her apartment <laughs> and raises her hood, that is Rose Weissman's <laughs> way of, like, flipping everyone off and saying, yes. fuck you. <laughs> like, and she's had it. That was her way of doing that. Like, the way the hood is so long, too, and, like, fits over her hair, she's just like, I cannot, I cannot yeah. deal with this. <laughs> it's so dramatic, and I love her for it. <laughs> it is so perfect. And uh, you fe- you're like, wait, why are they leaving Paris? What could possibly be better than Paris this season, than having a se- season in Paris. A season in the Catskills <laughs> is what could be better. Oh my gosh. I love this storyline too. Also, I never heard of the Catskills. I literally Googled it the other day to um, see if it was a real thing. It is. I, I, yeah. I looked it up. I had heard of the Catskills, I think, because I, I think the first time I heard about it was because I think Dirty Dancing. I think that's the series. I think that takes pl- also takes place in the Catskills. Um, oh, okay. This the episodes in the Catskills are incredible, and this is the episode that won her her second Emmy. Oh, nice! And Donna talked to about Amazon dot com about her nomination and these episodes, saying the Catskills episode really captured a world that you don't see very often. It represented a very special time when people were playful. We had the opportunity to go outside of the urban world and create play clothing, which was very much what people wore when they visited the Catskills for a moment of release. I think it reminded a lot of people of their grandparents and the stories they've heard about the world during that time. Which, absolutely. Like, (laughs) I feel when I see these, I'm like, oh, these are the looks when I look at like old pictures. I'm like, that's when I'm like, oh, look at that. Like, they had such good style. Yeah. And they're just, it's true. Like, these are their play clothes, which is crazy to me. It also just makes you realize how funny society is now, how we don't really dress for the moment. These people were dressed. At all hours of the day, you know, so their play clothes are for me, what would be like a black tie type event. (laughs) Absolutely. Especially, especially the dress she wears when she first gets there. And when it came to Midge's Catskills 
looks, Donna said her first instinct was, it's time to use yellow. (laughs) And also (laughs) proceeded to put her in florals for the first time. That yellow Uh dress with the, the white, like, cat eye sunglasses and the little i don't even know what you call that kind of headwear yeah (laughs) that like fascinator thing oh fascinator yeah i love in her office she had like a glass box that said like in case of cat skills break you know like break in case of cat skills (laughs) bring out the yellow (laughs) bring out the yellow like everyone is just like it is vacation time and they're vacationing for like three months which i'm like may i may i do that (laughs) please even though the actual vacation does not look fun like all these group activities there's so many people in that little room i yeah i don't know if i would enjoy the group activities but having the option to enjoy the group activities i would really like that i appreciate the invite so (laughs) please don't let this dissuade anyone from inviting me to any three month long vacations i will definitely have my team consider it i'll definitely (laughs) be there whether or not you see me is going to be a different story. And if I get to just go on like dates on a boat with like someone that my matchmaker yes. mom set me up with and then get to like judge a swimsuit contest the next day, I'm I'm there. I'm happy. And <laughs> love that you meant, mentioned the boat date because we have the incredible Zachary Levi playing Benjamin <laughs> Midge's love interest of the season. And I was so sad when they didn't make it because I love Zachary Levi and I wanted him on the rest of the season. I didn't like them together, so I was happy. But I I also didn't like any. Well, there was one person I liked for Midge and it was not Zachary and it was not Joel. Yeah, Joel. I like that, like, through the whole season, it's, like, clearly, like, she... The reason none of these other relationships worked out was because she was always in love with Joel. She didn't want that to end. But I really liked Benjamin, because I think if she had just, like, had an open dialogue with him, (laughs) I think he would have let her do whatever the fuck she wanted for the rest of her life. for (laughs) sure. Yeah, that whole diner scene where they have the explosion. And the whole time I was like... Sorry, Midge, I'm on his side and I don't yeah. even like him. Yeah. Because <laughs> he also like I when he's she sends him the Dear John letter, he's like, you know, I accepted it. Like, yeah. he's like, I didn't like it, but I accepted it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then her mother ruins it. But anyway, back to the boat look, which this is one of my favorite looks from the whole series <laughs> and really epitomizes the fact that Overall, for the cat scales, Donna wanted Midge's wardrobe to be whimsical and fun, like dresses, like the dress on the boat with Benjamin. Donna based this look on the 1950s play suit that they created from vintage fabric paired with a hand-painted lampshade hat. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's so perfect. And just like all the looks, one after the other... Just perfect, 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 including Abe's jumpsuit. Oh my gosh, that one was so good. I they I loved how they were hyping it up, especially being a costume nerd. I was like, oh, I gotta see whatever it is that he's warning everyone yeah. about. I actually don't think it's that bad. I definitely think he's being over dramatic, but yeah. for him, I get why he's scared because for he would t- never be caught dead yeah. in this. For the time and for him, absolutely. <laughs> 
and <laughs> it's, so, it's so form-fitting in the bottom half. <laughs> so form-fitting. <laughs> and um, I love Donna was inspired by Jack Lalane, a popular TV exercise instructor from the 1950s and paired that with a geometric sports pattern that was very popular at the time. But I love how she used um, Jack as inspiration because I actually already kind of knew who he was (laughs) Um, because he was like a pioneer in like recorded and televised like exercise routines. Yeah. Um, I don't remember how I found out about him, but as soon I mean, as hey, you're an expert in exercise, <laughs> I, so oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but as soon as she mentioned him, I knew like I was like, oh my gosh, absolutely, that's exactly like the like Abe watches this man in secret and like <laughs> For has sure. memorized his routines and does them in the cat scales. Oh, it's so good. And there's just so many costumes in this episode in general. I mean, there's the, the bathing suit competition. There's just like the crowd scenes in general or when they go exploring. There's so much. There's so much. I also love that. Like they didn't contain it to just one episode. I love that. It's just like several (laughs) episodes of just this, like just look after look after look and it's just the most fun yeah and at the end of season two uh we get introduced to a very famous singer who hires midge this is her first big break shy baldwin (laughs) hires midge to be his opening act and season season three opens with their uso performance (laughs) That was a fun one. That was a fun one because it was, it was very, I mean, in ways you can almost kind of predict what you're going to see a little bit. You know, there's going to be lots of red, white, and blue mm-hmm. for sure. But of course, Midge like puts her own like Miss Maisel spin on it though. It is very marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Absolutely. And Donna said her performance dress meant to be theatrically patriotic. I thought of Midge and her costume as a restless human flag of sorts with her big red bow trailing behind. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I love the bow. I did love how it did follow behind her. It was very cute. It was so cute. I also love from the front, it's like a very like simple, basic, beautiful dress. But the moment she turns around, it's like, oh, there is fun and flair mm-hmm. in this look. There is Always. also fun and flair in Shy Baldwin's suits, uh, Donna used a wool fabric with iridescent threads woven throughout to give him a shimmering effect. And his backup singers also had metallic underlayers to create a shimmery glow. This is a holiday performance. And like, I feel like Shy and his backup singers, they really... They like glow with like Christmas snow energy. (laughs) (laughs) They were always glowing. I did love the shy storyline was a great storyline. There always was like a theatricality to his costumes and also his backup singers. When they go to Vegas, I love that storyline too. The Vegas, I'm a big fan of like vintage 1950s, 60s Vegas era, you know, like the the Elvis era, the just all the singers is such a fun time in Vegas. And 
it just gave me a lot of life. Donna killed it with those episodes. It is so fantastic. And Leroy McLean, who plays Shy, like spot on, spot so on. Yeah. Uh, we have some more Sophie Lennon. <laughs> of course, she's back. <laughs> in season three. Season three sees Sophie try and pursue a career in theater <laughs> by playing the title role in the play Miss Julie and <laughs> begins to rehearse with the renowned actor Gavin, played by Carrie Elwes. <laughs> <laughs> which I just think this pairing is so hilarious. Like I can never not think of him in Princess Bride <laughs> yeah, for sure. whenever I see him, but I didn't realize it was him till this last time I watched it. Cause like his role is so small, but like with Sophie Lennon, like the pairing is hilarious. Yeah, they made the hits count. They had a lot of great like little cameos that sometimes you just weren't prepared for. It You really weren't. And Donna really crafted his looks after choreographers like Gene Kelly. And she really changed it up for Sophie's um, rehearsal looks, doing a simplified 19th century skirt and sweaters. Like, this is the most dressed down I think you ever see Sophie Lennon. Right. And it's it not is. even dressed down. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like she's giving another, like, Agnes Van Ryn look, though, honestly. Like, yeah. this time it's in costume, but it feels very, like, Gilded Age. It looks great on her, though. It's a great costume. Until she starts ripping it apart on stage. That was yes. very... This show was very good at building tension, um, mm -hmm. just like those awkward moments where you just want to crawl inside of yourself, you know, like when Sophie Lennon's bombing this performance or just whenever like Midge would start to like bomb a set, it would happen every once in a while. And yeah. I just want to like hide, <laughs> you know, they were so good at doing that. <laughs> it was so good. It was so cringy. Uh, what was not cringy though, were any of her looks for Shy's tour. Yeah. They were so incredible. And Donna said the procession of black dresses was meant to create continuity with variety for Midge's onstage persona. All of her limelight looks were quintessentially theatrical. And to me, they were the outward manifestation of both her dialogue with the world and the ongoing dialogue with herself about her identity as a performer yeah i mean there was a lot of good ones i have to say my favorite was when she saw that big grand staircase yes. and she was like wait i gotta go walk up to the top of this thing and just walk down in this <laughs> fringy dress yes. and she ate that i mean she, she knew did. she would and she did <laughs> she absolutely did and i really feel like this season like you get to see so many of these limelight looks and Donna really took that opportunity to also evolve them. She said for this gorgeous black and pink floral number, she said the Lenny date dress for which I chose a strikingly bold pink and black floral pattern that I felt would be emotionally powerful, but with shoulder straps made from pink tulle for a balletic touch of lightness. This dress would be seen 
at the TV taping of Miami After Dark, at the Cuban Club, Lenny's Hotel, and then after a long, basically sleepless night by the Fountain Blue Pool against the improbable backdrop of an early morning (laughs) water ballet. Oh my gosh, that was a crazy (laughs) moment. It was so crazy. And since this was the first really romantic interlude Midge shares with Lenny, it had to be memorable. (sighs) And it is. This is who you wanted her with, wasn't it, Spencer? Yes, I love (laughs) Lenny Bruce and Midge together. They were... Why couldn't you give me that? I wanted it so bad. They were... He was so great. And they just worked together. I That's what she, I felt like if she had a guy, this is what she needed. Yeah. It was like this kind of like rough and tumble, like still understands her artistically and supports her. But he also has his own things going on, his own demons. And he's funny and attractive. Oh, man. I love Letty Bruce. <laughs> I loved him, too. I was kind of disappointed because at the end of season, oh, jumping ahead. By the end of season four, you're like, is this? Is this going to happen? Right. And when it doesn't in season five, I was like, come on. Season five in that department felt like a smack to the face. I do not understand (laughs) what happened in that very last episode where Sophie, not Sophie, Susie goes to like, you know, scout him out and add him to the roster, I guess. And he's just like down and out of his luck. It just felt to Um, me not necessary. I forget who his character is based off, but his character is based off a real person. Huh. So I gotta read more I think, into it. Yeah, that was a bummer. <laughs> but yeah, such great character and that date night look that you're talking about. It was very cute, and also I think they were like you mentioned they were in Miami at the time, so it does yes. have a little bit of a you know Miami flair, Miami costumes, especially in this time period. Like there, it was a time and place, and Midge just fits right in. Of course, absolutely, she knows how to dress the part from Miami. To Las Vegas. <laughs> Her first Las Vegas limelight look is incredible. And Donna said, For this look, I always plan to attach an extremely large bow to the single shoulder of a black asymmetrical dress. Then, when the costume was made, the bow turned out to be much larger than expected. <laughs> I realized it would be even better to balance her outrageous cone-like beehive hairdo. There was a comic side to this dress that was much more pronounced than in any other of her performance looks. A gentle touch of humor that helped lighten the impact of Midge's bombed performance. (laughs) I think it's so funny, the storytelling that happened with this costume, because it did make her bombing this performance feel all that more awkward. Because she literally, I mean, she looks good out of context, but I guess just like knowing Midge, this just felt like wrong because it was very big and you're just like, like she was, this was clownish for Midge, which is what made it feel that much more funny. Absolutely. If this was on anyone else, I probably would thought it looked amazing, Mm -hmm. but this just felt very over the top and kooky, even for Midge Maisel. Even for Midge. I'm like, I... When you see this, I'm like, I know she bought this in like the middle of her shopping frenzy for the tour. Yeah. (laughs) Like she saw it and was like, oh, this is fabulous. Tried it on, felt fabulous and then forgot about it till she was on the tour and was like, oh, I'll wear this. 
<laughs> and it's like maybe like with different hair maybe it wouldn't have been so like awkward but the hair is like really what makes this dress <laughs> yeah it's so good this is a good collab between hair and costume absolutely and the looks just get better and better as the story builds towards uh shy's performance at the apollo oh the apollo i was stressed i was like there's no way this is gonna work out no. honestly no. <laughs> especially when i saw wanda sykes as mom's mavely i was like oh this is we're going down yes right now. <laughs> uh wanda sykes plays the incredible moms Mabley and Donna based her costume off a lot of research into the real life moms Mabley and decided to recreate a favorite look of hers a pineapple printed dress <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah there's the black and white photo yeah. I love that it's like I love I love how she interprets like inspiration from the time cause you know, Mom's Mabley, it's this wonderfully bold pattern of just like pineapples layered on top of each other. But, you know, for a modern audience, for Wanda Sykes, she kind of like draws it back to like this beautiful blue color with just like these singular pineapples throughout it. And it's like it looks so good for yeah. Wanda and fits into the world they've created so beautifully. Mm hmm. What also fits into this world beautifully is Midge's dress for the Apollo performance. That, that's a good one. It's it's her and her and her pink again, which is interesting because for these like big show moments, she typically doesn't do pink. She does black. So it was interesting that for the Apollo, she she I guess I don't know. She decided to go for the pink, and it looked amazing. It looked amazing, and Donna describes this dress as her most ornate extravagant performance dress to date also this is the last time she wears color mm. in this series which i think is really interesting well not not in the whole series but for her performance looks like this is the last time you really see her in any color for a performance <laughs> probably because after such a wonderful set that ultimately lost her her job. Yeah. <laughs> she was probably like, well, can't ever wear pink again. Right. For a she performance. was of all color. Um, it sucks because it was a bomb set. But I. Yeah. It was it was very complicated. I understood. I knew she was going to get fired after that. It yeah. was, I saw that coming a hundred miles away. Um, yeah. Yeah. So funny though, pulling the food out of her oh out of her God. dress though. That, that was so hilarious. <laughs> uh, she was such a good. I'm a big fan of stand up comedy. Like I listened. Mm -hmm. That's because you and I do so many of these podcasts and talk about costume and film and TV. When I listen to podcasts on my own, I listen to podcasts that have nothing to do with film, television, Same. or costumes. <laughs> I just listen to comedy podcasts, honestly. So this was fun. I really felt like the joke writing in the show was so good. It was so incredible. And that brings us to the end of season three. Spencer, when we come back, are you ready for seasons four and five? Uh, yeah, we, we need a little break, <laughs> but we're almost there. I need some Gatorade for the rest of this. <laughs> Thank you.
this is Dan, audio engineer of the podcast, here to let you know that if you wanted to support the show, you can head over to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. There you can buy some awesome Tee Public merch with the podcast logo, such as a shirt, coffee mug, stickers, and of course, a baby onesie. Thanks for all your support. into it because we have a whole lot of costumes to get into and midge is not having a great time uh she's actually Mm-mm. throwing her costumes out the window when we pick up in season four yeah midge midge is not doing well no when she threw the hat out the window i was like Susie, pull this cab over yeah we gotta we gotta do something about that's, this that's how that's how even Susie knew like oh no this is <laughs> this is going poorly and this also signifies the transition from the 50s to the 60s. And Donna talked to Metro UK about this, saying, I wanted to bring Midge into that feeling of concentrating on a career, having a professionalism, and then play with the 1960-61 silhouette, which by becoming a little bit narrower, a little bit more structured, would really service the story. She's out there on her own and really trying to create this new world because everything has, for the second time, been shattered. We see her having to pick herself up and reorganize her thoughts of who she is as a professional. She is committed to performance, even though things went a bit awry for her. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she really... I, I love that scene where she's undressing... And throwing the pieces out the window. And this really is one of the first, you know, more slimmed down 1960s looks that you see. Yeah. It's very like pencil skirt, cute little jacket. And she really carries that through the rest of the season and series. And you also see it a lot in her stories about the park where she meets the handsome man. (laughs) <laughs> played by Milo Vet- Venomagilla. Gosh, that was terrible. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> A for effort. Um, I, yeah, it, I think it's so funny that you love these park stories because I thought that was just so unnecessary. I didn't get why I, those scenes kept happening until we got like, she did a stand-up routine about it, which was funny. But before that, I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I I think it was hilarious. It also like... It was a turning point for her in terms of like how she viewed relationships with men. Mm-hmm. Like up until this point, it's been like you're with this man because there's a potential that you are going to marry him. Mm-hmm. With this guy, she is just creating a friendship and an attraction without the thought that I am going to marry this man. And it is the first time in her life that she has even seen that as an option. Yeah. And he's chasing her through the subways and yeah. she's able to turn around and just be like, dude, no, no. like leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was true. That's really like, it's a 
their whole storyline is just a sign of her independence as a woman of the mm. time, which I love. All right. Yeah, that makes more sense. Um, I also love a character, Maylin. Right. Played by I, someone we love, Stephanie Shu. Yes. I, I had zero idea she was in this series until I started watching it. Right. I didn't even realize this was her till I was putting the slides together and was like, who plays Mei Lin? And then like it all like clicked in my head. I was like, oh, my gosh, everything everywhere all at once. That's her. Right. This was she. I bet you she did season four before everything everywhere all at once. Honestly. Oh, yeah. She I love her character. She also kind of is the epitome of the new kind of woman. Mm-hmm. who was coming up during the 60s, who is independent and has ambitions outside yeah. of becoming a wife and mother. And I feel like her clothes, even because I believe she's introduced in season two, her clothes have always lent to more of that slimmed down um, 1960s style. And I just really loved all of her looks throughout this series. Yeah, she always, you know, like there is like a traditional uh Chinese feeling to like the Mm -hmm. collars usually but you can tell that she is someone who's trying to break from her tradition a little bit and just really focus on her own like linear trajectory. like I want to be a doctor and I'm going to do what it takes for me to be a doctor because that's what I want Um, so you can like kind of read that in the costumes as well but she also still has a sense of style too Um, yeah I really loved her character I was I was a bit sad when she left but then I also got why she left yeah. you know and i was like girl you do you yeah you I, was, know? <laughs> I was i was reading a little bit about it and amy sherman paladino was like she was never meant to be you know a constant fixture in the show yeah and the season five also filmed around the same time as everything everywhere all at once so she had a bit of a scheduling conflict and hey chose the right and- path <laughs> She got an Oscar nomination, (laughs) so there we go. Uh, Good for you, Stephanie. Um, It was such a great character. It was perfect. Like, I feel like Mei Lin is a perfect example of how they treated, you know, secondary characters in this show, which is they had full story arcs. Yeah. Like, she had a perfect entrance and a perfect exit. And you're like, Mei Lin went off and became a doctor. Yeah. And it's probably like uh, an award winning doctor if they have right. awards for doctors. <laughs> they did not skimp out on like the storytelling for any character. No. Um, they always they took the time with each character to tell their stories. Even um, uh, Joel's parents, like in the last season, yeah. I thought that they did so much for their characters to like they even brought me to their side because I thought they were so crazy <laughs> and so frustrating most of the series. And they won me over by the end of it, too. So I just, you're so right with the secondary characters. They did what they had to do, except for Miriam's children. I felt like <laughs> I just didn't understand what was happening with them. Oh, the, I liked I liked their story storylines. The flash forwards? I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> we have some more costumes that I'm really excited to talk about. I think... One of the most fun scenes of the series is when they go to Coney Island for Ethan's birthday. And Donna talked to below the line a little bit about these scenes, saying there's something about Coney Island 
And of course, growing up in New York, I love those strange stripes and then the red pulsanella hat worn by Rose. I always feel to a degree, especially when I'm doing comedy, that I'm designing clowns on some level. (laughs) I mean, that in the most positive sense of the word, in the way that Finelli said that the greatest performers are clowns because they have that empathy and strategy and yet comedy at the same moment in a way that a little bit epitomizes Mrs. Maisel and how I sort of approached it. And I get it, especially (laughs) how you're just talking about Joel's parents. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's all like a little over the top. It's all a little too much, especially in these Coney Island scenes, but it doesn't take away from the heart and the empathy and, you know, some of the real tragedies that happen throughout the series. I mean, the Coney Island scenes are just like some of the greatest scenes in the entire series. They're so funny. And you're right. The costumes do feel still very grounded in the reality of the show. Like they don't stick out as like, oh, this is like this doesn't work. It feels very real and uh, researched. But it is also there's a campiness level to it. I love Rose's look because she's dressed as a hot dog. She is wearing ketchup (laughs) and mustard and she just looks like (laughs) she looks like a delicious hot dog and it just brings me so much joy. Oh my gosh. And all the scenes throughout the series where all of her family just yells and argues and they don't hear each other. Mm-hmm. My One of my favorites is when they're on the Ferris wheel and they're all yeah. yelling at each other about, <laughs> I, I think she just got fired from Chai's tour and she's yeah. trying to tell everyone and it's not working. No. Uh, those scenes are just fantastic. It's so uh, good. Wow, it makes me want a hot dog real bad. <laughs> <laughs> just wait, Spencer, wait. <laughs> um... I feel like this is inspiration she also brings into the strip club. Mm, These are like, mm, mm, mm. I love the strip club scenes. They're incredible. And Donna spoke to Vanity Fair about them. She said, I've sort of become an expert on pasties and G-strings and how to (laughs) remove people's closing people's clothing in about five seconds now it's like secondhand nature to me (laughs) she said after this i can be booked on any burlesque or strip show in the world if i wanted to (laughs) right and effort i thought this was just like a burlesque joint until i watched it this time is when i realized they were calling it a strip club i just always thought it was a burlesque and i always thought it was weird that they got raided because I was like, I thought burlesque was like, that was like the appropriate right. form of stripping back then. I thought that was the legal form. So that had always confused me till this last time I watched it. And I caught the fact that they were calling it an illegal strip club, which I'm like, yeah. I don't know how I missed that. But OK. <laughs> and Donna talks about this a little bit. She said, I mean, there's a strange little bit of modesty and there's more of a theatricality which is what interested me. It isn't about being naked, but it's about being theatrical. Yeah. And in this article with Vanity Fair, she also talks a little bit more about like, that's what she found in her research. Like Mm -hmm. 
the attraction was in the performance, not necessarily taking everything off. And I'm like, you nailed it. Yeah. You yeah, nailed I mean, it. You kind of said it already, but like their version of what the strip club was is what we would consider now as burlesque because yeah. it, it's, it wasn't about, it was about these really over the top performances where they're playing different characters and history and they have over the top costumes. I have an ostrich on my head, <laughs> like really over the top things. So yeah, but yeah, it yeah. didn't work out. Lots of things didn't work out in this time period. No, so. no, <laughs> uh, definitely not. <laughs> She also talked to Metro UK about the world they wanted to create through the strip club, saying, we tried to really create an environment that we hadn't physically seen and then would allow us to bring in a lot of women with the strip tees. Amy was very interested in having more women that were strong and interesting and eccentric. So that became a sort of theme for us in season four yeah that's amazing i you you all know that i worked at the fitta museum now called the asu fitta museum for a long time and i worked on like bringing in costumes to, to exhibit and we almost had marvelous mrs mazel probably all the time every time mm -hmm. and i remember when season four happened and yes. we got the costumes it might yes. have been season five and the majority of them were from the strip club and I had never seen a show before and I was just so confused. I was like, what is this show even about? I thought it was about like a stand-up comedy, stand-up comedian with like the Jackie Kennedy like pillbox hats. Yeah. Like that's what it is. And in the strip club scene, we actually have a picture right here. It's the lady with the the cotton balls. Yes, with the pom-poms. Yeah, I remember pom -poms. seeing that look there. Yeah. So finally I got to watch the series and see it. And I was like, oh yes. Like this is totally it. I love, love that look. All the strip right. club looks were just incredible. So good. Yeah. I remember, I remember seeing that exhibit. Cause it I one time when I was visiting you all, it was still up. Yeah. And I, I remember we went together and we were like, this is the Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> I exhibit and, and then you like walked away and i was like oh my gosh i i don't remember but i feel like almost all the costumes are from the, from the strip scenes i don't most. even know if there were not all remember. of them yeah i don't remember the amazing ones so i just remember the strip club costumes so yeah. oh, so funny so funny and this brings us to season five which starts off very abruptly with a flash forward. Oh, these are the scenes I don't like. I'm having a hard time with them. They just make me feel sad. So I love them because like I like I was saying in the beginning, so many shows, it's like you're left to like fill in the rest of the story with your imagination. The flash forwards show you what happened to everybody, like where they ended up. And it kind of shows you like, you know, their lives weren't like this perfect magical thing afterwards. But and two one thing is like 2005 is the last flash forward at the very end. Midge is, you know, kind of like she's elderly, like at the end of her life. But she has achieved everything she wanted. She has everything she wanted. She has friends and family, love and success that she built on her own. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah, no, I agree with it. And actually, now that I'm like starting to just sit here and think about it, and I will be probably for our next week or two, I I guess the scenes I didn't like were one where she she's 
making Susie call off her wedding. Yeah. And when she goes to visit her son in, and she's like very over the top. Mm-hmm. But also I have to remember that this is Rose's daughter too. Yeah. And that over the top dramatic nature is like very DNA coded in her as yeah. well. I'm just having a hard time thinking like, cause to me, like Miriam is just like such like a good human being. It was hard for me seeing like these like rough moments for her in the future. I just don't want to believe that she like grew up to be like this really like mean Hollywood diva. You know, I mean, I don't think she did like because also I <laughs> I mean, she predicts it, too, in her she, act. Like yeah. her, her kids grow up to like be like my mom is a nutcase, you know, yeah. so I mean, I guess that's fine. You know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought the wedding part was hilarious i think i just mostly found rose and abe hilarious oh i mean you know going on about they looked amazing (laughs) no notes for them ever (laughs) i do also love midge's look which is like a pants suit for her wedding and i love how Susie's kind of like i was surprised by the pants almost like oh i should have known this wasn't gonna work out (laughs) when you chose to wear pants to your own wedding uh the one that made me cry real ugly tears is when she did a video message to Susie. yes and she Uh, looks beautiful oh she looks incredible i i like refused to believe to the very end that these were like i thought these were all like nightmares that midge was having so I never fully no. believed in them. But now that we're here, I'm like, okay. Um, I, but mean, yeah, those. I kind of understand the fallout between the two of them. Because it's like, how was Midge never going to find out that, like, Susie didn't protect her? Yeah. Which forced Joel to do some shady business on her behalf. Which we both know Midge would have just liked Susie to be up front about what was happening i know so i'm like that was sad i kind of get it but i also i like that you know like that rift doesn't go on forever they go back they go back to being best friends yeah oh and they're watching jeopardy at the end oh so good so good and donna talked to indywire about the flash forward saying i wondered how it was going to work the idea of these flash forwards, that was really rather drastic to suddenly project who was Midge and Susie 30 or 40 years from when we knew them. It's hard to know how to really portray that. And luckily, we had a very good prosthetics team. I just tried to think what happened and what does that mean in terms of clothes and character and adhering to different periods? Yeah. I mean, Hey, Donna did a great job. The entire mm-hmm. team did. I, all these looks are believable to me on who Miriam and Susie become. All of them were believable. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, uh, the other way this series starts with her newly hired on the Gordon Ford show. (laughs) (laughs) And this amazing just pop of red color. (laughs) It's so good. It's her sitting dress. (laughs) Her sitting dress. And Donna spoke to IndieWire about the look saying, red in general is a very powerful color for Midge. And I refer to that as the red sailor outfit. 
That's why the whole image of the sailor cap is built in. I really had this feeling of her starting a new journey. It started with the shape of the hat and what would work here. There was something very right about the costume, but it had to have a great, whimsical, adventuresome aspect to it. Yeah. Which I really do love because this is her like next big adventure. This is the next thing. Well, it really is the thing that like shoots her to fame. What makes her, you know, wildly successful. Yeah. But then for the scene where handsome man Milo is chasing her through the subway, it is hilarious. Yeah, because she's so easy to spot. I'm like, there she is. Like, she can't get away. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, I love her sitting dress. I love that she was so stressed when she found out about like, oh, this isn't a job where I have to stand. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. I've never heard that before. Like, oh, that's so wild. <laughs> I love how she calls Susie. <laughs> <laughs> in like the middle of the morning yeah. um oh my gosh shout out to reed scott who plays gordon ford i yes i love him he plays um a character in veep who he's just so good at playing like unlikable terrible <laughs> characters and he's just great in the show as well and funny enough i feel like veep and miss mazel are kind of like same stories in a way where they're both about two women who are just like absolutely on their path and are willing to do whatever it takes to get to the end goal, whether it's being a stand-up comedian or president of the United States, just one is very likable and one is a horrible person. Yep. So it's just perfect. And he just pops up in both of them as like <laughs> a unlikable character to help that character get to their end point. <laughs> so I, good. I love that. I I also had a love-hate relationship with uh, the Garbage musical. Oh, I just all love for me. That was a great musical. I would watch that, honestly, uh, if it came to the Pantages. Okay, Spencer. <laughs> I, it was hilarious. And it, it was just so not Midge. And Donna talked about it to IndieWire saying... I went back to original sanitation research, but made it quite oversized for her. So it was very clown-like and musical. And it was important to have each character and color be very specific because the town is very happy, very colorful, very pleasant, especially when contrasted with the garbage girls. How do you build a garbage dress? So I found all sorts of plastic and weird papers. And I practically built that by myself because it's hard to describe to someone. <laughs> and my staff assistants found different versions of bubble wrap and tinfoil, which was much more reflective and much more interesting to see under lights. Right. <laughs> She's like, um, I don't know how to put this to you, but it's a dress made out of garbage. I don't, I'll just do it. Yeah, it's fine. You know what? You, there's a million things to do on this. Just go, yeah. go do something else. Yeah. Um, the thou oh my gosh, they had thousands of extras on this series. Uh, oh, um, yeah. yeah, it's like, it's so strange. And like Midge is, because Midge is not, a performer for scripted productions. She's like, I don't dance. I don't sing. Like, like this is everything Midge is not. And she's just forced into this and this gr like truly gross. 
<laughs> costume and it's just the funniest thing that's so funny and i love how Susie's like well we got you a hat though and i knew yeah. you would like that because you like hats and it's like a Susie hat basically yeah <laughs> so it's yeah. just like the perfect way to be like and wrong <laughs> like, yep. we got this wrong <laughs> what they did not get wrong was midge's final limelight dress oh man that was good i loved it it was so perfect and donna talked to the hollywood reporter about this dress saying i knew this was a partying dress in its own way and yet it was something that she was supposed to have bought so it couldn't be overly designed it was important that it had an impact reminiscent of what we've seen her in before but one step higher I pushed the neckline being much more open and more dramatic than I had in any of her other performance dresses because I felt this last dress is really about the last time we see her performing the last time she is Midge Maisel mm, I was crying through like this entire scene yes <laughs> whether it worked out or not I was just like so happy yeah. this is what I wanted was like that moment where she looks up and her parents are smiling back at her. Mm -hmm. Joel was smiling back at her. Yeah. Rose. I mean, I Rose. just, the fact that Rose was there and happy and just yeah. like she was happy and Susie, I, it was, I could not, I was weeping like a child. It's, it's so perfect. <laughs> I remember watching this for the first time. I was like, how is this going so poorly? Right. But when, you know, they come back to the stools for the second time and she turns to Gordon is like, I'm not good at following rules. I was yeah. like, yes! Oh my gosh. It was like I was watching Game of Thrones. I was like, let's go. Yes. <laughs> like, let's do it. Grab that my girl. She looked at Susie and she's like, this might be it for us. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm about to do something crazy. And I love Susie rolls with it because she's like, every time you've almost destroyed us, it's it made us better. Yeah. And just the dress is beautiful. It's it's true. Like it, she just bought it. So it could not have been like something too couture and over mm -hmm. the top. But just like that neckline is just like stupid good on yes. her. I love the bow. Um, at yes. first I didn't know how I feel about it. But just looking at it now, I love the bow. Um, it just works. It just feels like it's a play on that black dress we see her in the mm -hmm. finale of the first season. It just like took it to like a new elevated level. Absolutely. I also love the bow because as I was doing the slides, kind of reflecting on it, it's like the three biggest moments almost of her career have been when she was wearing a dress with a bow. Mm -hmm. And a season one, that final dress has the little bows on the straps. Yeah. And then when she plays at the Apollo, has that huge bow on the front. And yeah. that's when everything, you know, what she thought her career was going to be just is completely destroyed so i love that they brought that the bow back like once again to be like this is your next big step in the journey that will create your career yeah oh so good can i, can I just read like a little bit of her quote from her like set yeah she says i just couldn't i was getting ready to cry she said I want a big life. I want to experience everything. I want to break every single rule there is. They say ambition is an unattractive trait in a woman. Maybe. But you know what's really unattractive? Waiting around for something to happen. Staring out a window, thinking the life you should be living is out there somewhere, but not being willing to open a door and go get it. Even if someone tells you you can't. 
being a coward is only cute in a wizard of Oz. And I just thought like that wrapped up the entire series for me. Honestly, it was just like, if you have a life you want out there, it's, you know, the, a lot of the dreams we have for ourselves are so sometimes feel so unattainable, but it's not going to come to you. You really have to just set a direction in your life, a goal, aspirations, dreams, and you have to work for it and get out there and just make things happen for yourself. And it just, yeah, it, I was weeping. It was just such a good closing line, even if it ended with a corny Wizard of Oz joke. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so beautiful. It's so perfect. And that brings us to the end. The oh, marvelous man. Mrs. Maisel. Oof, I'm exhausted. I'm sure Daniel is too. <laughs> oh yeah. Daniel got 24 hours to edit this. <laughs> um, yeah, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's play our favorite game. I've been waiting for a solid month uh, to talk about this. Are you ready to play our favorite game? Absolutely. Hit it, Daniel. The one costume to rule them all. All right. So my one costume to rule them all. Well, after this conversation, though, I have like one and then I have an honorable mention. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) My one costume to rule them all is her black bow dress from the first season. Yes. The finale, yes. That was like the moment where she just knew like, this is what I want to do. I am the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This is who I am. And she just finally like knew like she had a direction in life. And you could tell that like in that dress, even though it's black and it's very downtown that she had just like, she had become this fully realized individual person you know mm-hmm. and it just was so but still had touches of miriam as well with the bows and like we were just talking about that's like a theme that happens in all for limelight looks it just to me it just was such a special moment and i just i was excited about the series from that point forward i already i liked season one and i mm-hmm. knew i was gonna like the show but that first like big performance at the gaslight in that look like cemented me as like a fan. I was ready. That's probably when I told you, like, I'm not going to be talking to you yeah, (laughs) because I just knew like, all right, I'm in Uh, honorable mention though. It has to go to Rose's last France look when she's getting it to car puts on the hood. (laughs) I was like, Rose, you're stupid for that. I love you. It's so so good. It really is perfect. And I love, I love that first black dress too. Uh, my one costume to rule them all was between that black dress and her breakdown outfit <laughs> of the pink oh coat and the nightgown. Because I just think it's like the way Donna uses those pieces from like this pristine, perfect image of what she believes her life to be to just the visual of what it means to be shattered as a person to literally have your life fall apart around you. 
I think is exquisite. And it's also like you look at her and you're like, how is this person this like who has like no ambitions outside of being a wife and mother? Like, how is this person ever going to, you know, pull herself up from this? Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like such and from that moment, it seems so impossible. But right. she does it. Yeah, she it, does especially it. like that first season is so heavy on focusing on the moments where she gets up out of bed in the middle of the night to like mm-hmm. go like fix her hair oh and her gosh, makeup yes. and sneak back into bed, which and she's we constant- find out her mother also does yes. too. Yes, like she learned that from her mother. She's constantly mm-hmm. measuring herself, like making sure like she is fit, she looks perfect, like making sure Joel never sees her like out of makeup. <laughs> oh my gosh that's insane and like that one time they get back together and she's like hey you're gonna have a hard time taking my underwear off and he's like no and it's like that girl put so much effort right into making (laughs) his life as perfect as possible it's insane yeah and he still walked out on her honestly i never recovered from that i i liked joel as a character but i just never wanted them to happen again after that Um, no but yeah, that's your one cost to rule them all really is such a good choice because it just says so much about the entire arc of the story, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Man. That's the moment everything changes for her. Yeah. Well, Elizabeth, I'm excited. We actually got some audience one costume rule them all before we got to do this episode so i want to i know well i mean let's be real everyone wanted this episode so people were ready to go when i said we're doing mazel next (laughs) i was like shout out (laughs) i cannot count the (laughs) amount of times people were like so are you gonna do marvelous mrs mazel yeah marvelous mrs mazel (laughs) uh okay so wow okay um um, all right, so our first one costume to rule them all comes from a longtime listener, Jess. And they said uh, their one costume rule them all was too long to send in like an Instagram <laughs> DM. So they said, uh, but season three, she wore this pink coat that was maybe a sheer pink fabric and it had this blue lining and some lighting. The coat looked pink and then purple other times and it was magical. And also, uh, just like the season four Coney Island bow dress and coat, which I got to agree with. I yes. love all the Coney Island looks. And then let's see. Uh, Aiden Berktold on Instagram also said her red sitting outfit from the last yes. season is one of my faves. Shout out to the sitting dress. Uh, AV Bespoke just said all of Midge's looks. Her <laughs> wardrobe was just stunning, which yes. that's fair. That's very uh, fair. Cecily Graham on Instagram said the Catskill episode, just the entire episode are the one costume to rule them all. Um, and then for our last one, Ornetta Jewel said the Catskills stripe dress and shorts in the boat, just yes. like Elizabeth mentioned. And then the triumphant black uh, looks as well were just her, their favorite. So yeah, sounds like a lot of people are feeling kind of what we're saying and I hope you all continue to send us your one costumes to rule them all. And to do so, make sure you hit up our voicemail at 626-515-1826. Or you can email us at theartofcostume at gmail.com. And if you are just a little lazy, you can also just DM, DM us on Instagram. And I'll, I'll try to include that as well. <laughs> I prefer an email, though, yeah. so I can keep it organized. Yeah, that would be lovely. <laughs> 
Spencer, what are we going to be talking about next week? Oh, man. Well, Elizabeth, we were just really talking about such a cheerful, colorful New York City, very light and positive. But I I feel like I kind of want to talk about a darker side of New York, a little mm. bit more not as pleasant and colorful. I see. I see. I, mean. I do. Do you I mean? Think, oh, yeah. Do you mean we're going to watch Succession? <laughs> we're watching Succession. <laughs> I'm very excited. I love this show and the world loves this show. We just witnessed the Emmys a few weeks ago and it won basically every award possible mm-hmm. that it was nominated for. So, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about Succession. The Roy family, Roman, Kendall, Shiv, Logan, and gain into all the antics of that quiet luxury trend that came from Succession. Yes. And if you would like to see some pictures with your episode, you can visit our YouTube channel at The Art of Costume and see what me and Spencer are talking about in every episode. This is a great one to start with, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's going to take me two days to put together this YouTube video. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And if you would like some content from us in between episodes, you can visit us on Instagram at the Art of Costume Pod, on TikTok at the Art of Costume. If you would like some Art of Costume merch, you can head to theartofcostume.com slash pod store. And if you loved what you heard, if you love us, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star text review on Apple Podcast. Yeah, we would really appreciate it. We put so much effort into all these great behind the costume facts and watching a show for a month so if you could support us with a great review that would really mean a lot and make it all worth it absolutely with that elizabeth i i feel like i need to go lay down after all those costumes well i need to go cook dinner (laughs) oh yeah yeah you have a great pasta to make i do i I do i need to go uh, book my trip to the catskills to vacation for three months let me know when we're going let me know when we're going Right, right. (laughs) Everybody have a fabulous week. The Art of Costume podcast is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Joy Glass and Spencer Williams. Our audio engineering and editing is done by Dan White. Follow us on TikTok at The Art of Costume and Instagram at The Art of Costume Pod. If you want to support the show, go to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. For more podcast updates, costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, go to theartofcostume.com, a blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design. She got an Oscar nomination, <laughs> yeah. so there we go. Uh, good for you, Stephanie. Um, it was such a great character. It was perfect. Uh, like that. Like this is what. Well, do you do you have a question sorry. for the class, Spencer? <laughs> I was just gonna say, do we have the strip club scenes in the slides? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs>